Good morning. Hey, as we were worshiping this morning, uh, that phrase, um, I just couldn't escape it. And we're going we're gonna to take a second and I'll preach here in a minute. Um, hi, I'm Zach. Good to see you. Um, glad you're here. If you're online, we're glad you're here too. Uh, that phrase that we sang multiple times that Sarah let us in is that the, the enemy uh, thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. Um, I just want to pray into that for a minute. Uh, I, just, I, I just get this sense today that some of us have had a week where um, there's a, some situations that are going on where we, we feel really stuck or we feel like the enemy is, is uh, um, we feel caught. And we just need to pray a fresh identity over you uh, that the Lord says that you're his and whatever you're facing right now, um, that Jesus is right there with you. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something really, really bold for this body. And, and we're, gonna, we're not gonna get weird. So some of you are like, oh, is this getting ready to get weird? Don't worry, it's not going to get weird, all right? It's all good. We're all friends here. It's all good. Um, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do, uh, if you would. And if not, you don't have to. Can, we can still be friends. It's fine. You're big boys and girls. You can handle this. Um, I think one of the most powerful things we can do for each other is pray for each other. And so if you would say that that's, that's where you're at right now with that, that course where it says, the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said you were mine, and you just need, you need somebody to pray that over you freshly today, um, I just want, I'm just going to ask you really boldly just to raise your hand where you're at, if that's you this morning. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Leave your hand up. Leave your hand up. Leave your hand up. If you're sitting next to them, don't be a weirdo. Just put your hand on their shoulder. We're going to pray for them. Okay? If that's you. Okay, I, now some of you know what's going on. Now some of you that are super introverted or just skeptical of all things, you're like, oh, that's all we are going to do. I'm going to give you a chance to raise your hand now if you're kind of that late adapter person. You know what I'm saying? So if that's you, and it's okay, we're all friends. If you'd say, hey, that's me, and you want somebody to pray for you, just go ahead and raise your hand. I see you. That away, gold stickers. Somebody put, your, put a hand on that shoulder. I'm going to pray for us. And I want you to pray too. Father, I thank you for these people. God, I thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we pray the goodness of God over their situation right now in the name of Jesus. Father, for health diagnoses that came through this week that are, that are just not what we expected or not what we would hope for, God, we pray the healing touch of Jesus over their bodies. God, we pray for your supernatural peace. Holy Spirit, you're, you're, one of your names is, is, is the comforter. And God, we just pray the comfort of Jesus over them. God, for, for, for school decisions and relationships and business decisions, God, we just pray that things that the enemy meant for evil, that, Lord, you would turn them for your good. We pray courage over these folks. We pray, we pray confidence over them, God. God, I pray even now specifically, Lord, for marriages. God, there's some people that had marriages this week that they, they, they used that, 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 that hard D word, God. And we just pray restoration and healing and, and a togetherness back in that relationship, God. We pray healing in Jesus' name. We pray boldness to take the steps that are needed. And we just declare as a body, even with our folks at home, that, that what the enemy meant for evil, that the Lord, Lord, you will use it for your good. That the enemy thought that, they, that he had us, but Jesus, you said that we're yours. And God, I just pray and declare that over this body this morning. 
And it's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus we pray these things. And everybody said, amen. 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 Uh, just so we're clear, it's never weird to pray, pray for people. Um, you don't need to be weird. Let's be clear. Uh, you don't have to be weird. Um, but it should just be normative that we are prayer, praying people, um, that we pray for each other and lift each other up. And so today we're going to continue the story. Um, and we're actually going to look, we're actually going to kind of take a step back to jump forward. Because I think to really understand um, Paul and his missions and the mission that God sent him on, we have to really understand who Paul was before his identity was made Paul. And if you've grown up in church at all, or you've heard this story before, it can kind of be told as this like cute little Sunday school story. Like, hey, there was this guy that didn't like Christians, and then he, God met him on the road, and he now loves Christians, and he goes and preaches, and can be this cute little coloring page thing. That's just not how this, this one rolls. I think we got to really understand the context of Saul to Paul to really understand what God's asking us to step into and how God wants to use you. Because I'll let the cat out of the bag here a little bit. We're very good at disqualifying ourselves from the work of God. We're very good at coming up with lots and lots of excuses of why God can't and or won't use us. Listen, 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 listen to me. Listen. Stop it. Stop. Like we're going to look today at Saul and I want you to watch what God does in his life. Because here's Saul, and again, putting this in good context, we've been following Israel, we've been following them all the way through this, and we know that Israel has this tendency to turn away from God, to turn away from Yahweh. And so the religious leaders were very zealous in purging anything other than Yahweh. And so when this guy Jesus comes on the scene and begins to declare himself as the Messiah, remember they killed him because they didn't want anybody turning from Yahweh. They missed that he was the Messiah. And here we are about 32 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, when he ascends into heaven. And this, this zealous leader, Saul, is going around gathering up Christians. These people of the way, as they called it. That they're getting so much momentum. You know you're kind of like, you know you're becoming like a thing when you get a name. They just refer to them as people of the way. And so there's becoming so much momentum that they're the people of the way. And uh, Stephen is proclaiming Jesus, and they don't like it, so they drag Stephen outside of the city, and they stone him. And, and, I, and again, I, I want to de-Sunday, de-cute little Sunday school this a little bit. We're not talking about like these cute little pebbles that they threw at him. Like literally what they would do is they would take these boulders, there would be a mob of people that would come and pick up these boulders. Many of them, they would carry on their shoulders or whatever. And then they would, usually would bind this person up. And then they would just heap these boulders on top of them until they're dead. It's pretty aggressive. It's not very coloring page appropriate. And what's so interesting about this story is if you read in the text, it says that, that Saul was there. And that the people that were stoning Saul took their coats off and laid it at Saul's feet. It's safe to assume that they were doing this out of honor for Saul because they knew Saul's plan. And so you have this mob who takes their coats off, that lay their coats before Saul, 
The text literally says that Saul approved of Stephen's killing, his murder. You must be very convinced that the way is wrong to stone someone. And so that was about 32 AD after Christ rose again. And so fast forward a couple more years, Saul's been going around rounding up Christians, putting them in prison, you know, these people of the way. And then Saul gets this great idea. He hears about this growing group of the way out in Damascus. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go take care of that because I'm Saul and this is what I do. So that's where we're going to pick up the story today is, is Saul heading towards, to, towards Damascus. And so this is Acts chapter 9, verse number 1. We're just going to read some of the text. text. We'll, we'll unpack it as we go here. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And again, put this in context. This is about 34 AD. So there would have been people that were alive when Jesus was alive that are still alive now. So like, let's put this into good context. We're not talking about people that don't have firsthand knowledge. Like these are people. Now, some of them would have been born after Jesus, you know, had, had died in a sin. But there's, you know, someone being 40, 50 years old and, and having, knowing of this Jesus guy, that would have made sense. And so for Saul to be going around and the text to describe those as murderous threats, it's pretty aggressive. It's not just like, oh, we're going to lock you up. It's like, no, we're going to kill you because you're a menace to society and we are not going to let you defame Yahweh's name. Still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters in the, to, in the synagogue to go to Damascus. So he's looking for permission so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or, men or women, he might take them prisoners and bring them back to Jerusalem. As he neared, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him when he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So picture this. They would have been traveling by foot, probably had some donkeys with them. It would have been a whole caravan of people you know, Saul's not going to go round up a bunch of people by himself. So he's probably got, you know, I, I mean, the text doesn't tell us how many people, but I mean, it would be safe to say probably at least 10. I don't know. I mean, but like, he's not going to like, to get people from one city to another is going to take a bit of a workforce to drag them back. So he's got people with him. And this great light from heaven shows and smacks him and knocks him to the ground. And he hears this loud voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Saul's so overwhelmed, he recognizes it as the voice, a voice of God. He, he, he identifies it as Lord. So he's recognizing a voice of God. And watch what happens. This is so interesting to me. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up. And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Why I think this is really interesting, this is just a, a, a fun fact, is this, is this is the first time since the ascension uh, that Jesus speaks out from heaven. So think about that just for a minute. Like, he's, 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 a, he's, he's ascended into heaven, and, and Saul hears Jesus talking to him as Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's kind of cool. It's pretty, pretty awesome. So Saul is blinded and is sent to the city. And God tells Ananias to go visit Saul. 
um, if I'm Ananias, I'm not real happy. Because Saul's reputation would have preceded him. And it's most likely that Saul actually knew about Ananias. Because Saul's going to Damascus for a reason, to round up all these Christians. So people were talking about who was following the way. So it was safe to say that Paul was going to Damascus to imprison Ananias. And now God is coming to Ananias and saying, Ananias, don't worry about Saul. You should go talk to him. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the high chiefs to arrest all who come in his name. So Ananias is like, dude, seriously? This is what what you're asking me to do? But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show you how much he must suffer. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias goes into the city, finds Paul, probably sitting in some room, blinded. And again, again, let's not move past that too quickly because um, just so we're clear, Paul was walking to Damascus fully functioning, full eyesight, all those things. And now because of this encounter, he's blinded. And so think about that would have done with that whole company of people. Think about, think about, I mean, like the panic that Saul would have been under. I mean, we're not talking about, like, again, this is, this is not just a cute Sunday school coloring page where Ananias walks in and is like, hey, I'm here. It's like there would have been a lot of distress, a lot of angst, a lot of emotion. And Ananias walks in to the house he was saying, And Ananias places his hand on him and says, Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me. So remember who said to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Jesus identified himself. And now Ananias is walking into this room with this blind guy and saying, hey, Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me. That one, that that dude who just blinded you, just sent sent me to save. He said, is the same one who appeared to you along the road. He wants you to be able to see. And he wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, something like fish scales fell off of Saul's eyes. Can, can you, and he could see. Could you, could, you, could, you, could you imagine Saul sitting there? And Ananias says, says Saul, that, that one who you saw on the road, it's Jesus. And he wants you to see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And these things like scales fall off. And all of a sudden, Saul can see. His sight's been restored. He got up and was baptized. And he ate and he felt much better. Saul has this radical encounter with Jesus. And watch his response. First, uh, this is Acts chapter 9, verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. The murderer becomes the proclaimer. The one who is going around rounding up Christians is now proclaiming Jesus as the king, son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, it's a fair question, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come to take us prisoners of the high priests? 
Yet Paul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The church throughout Galilee, Judea and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear, living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in number. I don't want us to move past the massive impact of what's, what's happening here. Because here's Saul who was sent on, who was going on mission to round up, take captive, and kill. And he has this radical experience with Jesus. And, and we know now that, that Paul becomes probably the greatest missionary that's ever lived. He's really the one that took the gospel west. And why this is so incredible is if you think about Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said that you will have, this is right before he ascended into heaven, he says that, that, that you will have power, listen to me, that you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let's be good Bible scholars here for a minute. If you would look at a map, you would see it'd be like, it would be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's this gospel moving west. And here's Paul, who, who used to be Saul, who's getting sent out and beginning to proclaim Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who he was going to murder, he's proclaiming as the king. And Saul, Paul becomes the one who unlocks the gospel to the Gentiles. He's the one that not, not only is proclaiming life to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Um, if uh, most, I mean, there's a pretty good chance that all of you in here, unless you're Jewish, are Gentiles. <laughs> so the reason you have the gospel now is because of this Damascus Road experience. That Jesus took a murderer and put him on mission. That Jesus took the one that nobody saw fit and qualified him to take the gospel because of this encounter with Jesus. This is an Acts 1-8 moment. That when the Holy Spirit comes on, you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That when we experience the Holy Spirit, we can't help but be sent out. But here's the deal. Here's what blows my mind about Paul. Saul's Paul. Is he's a very unlikely candidate. Like in our good American understanding, would have been, we would have been like, all right, What's his, personality pro- what's his personality profile on his Myers-Briggs? Has he filled out his strength finders yet? What's his Enneagram number? I'm going to guess he's an eight. Just throwing that out there. But we've got all this list and stuff. So here's a, que- here's a question. Here's a question. I'm, I'm just going to... God wants to use you. And I want you to think about this question. What excuses do you use to disqualify yourself from being used by God? Listen to me. What excuses do you use to disqualify yourself from being used by God? I bet you feel like you've got some great excuses. Isn't that just human nature to disqualify ourselves? We don't even have to have anybody else disqualify us. We won't even get up to the starting line. Here's some things. And, and if you're in the app, you can drop some stuff down. You can, you can pray into this stuff later. But what excuses do you use to disqualify yourself from being used by God? 
If God can use Saul, I think he can use you. But, 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 but let's, let's think about some of these things. First, um, I don't know enough. That's, that's usually at the top of people's lists. About, you know, I just need to know more. I don't know enough. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't pray enough. I, you know, it's this never enough type of thing that we can operate in. Uh, I'm not good enough. Do they really know my story? You know, like we can kind of disqualify, even though we've been saved and redeemed and restored, we actually continue to use our past old self as, the cur- as our current disqualifier. Because how could God use all of this brokenness for his good? Or how could God use, let's be really honest here. This is, this is, this is, this is a little behind the curtain into my life. It's easy for me to go, how can God use these past stupid decisions that I've made? Don't, th- don't these past stupid decisions that I made disqualify me? You ever felt that one? Yeah, that's fun. There's some good shame wrapped up in that one, isn't there? Here's another good one. We disqualify ourselves because we don't have enough time. We build our lives around earthly busyness instead of kingdom effectiveness. That was good. You're right. Let me say it again. We build our lives around earthly busyness instead of kingdom effectiveness. We build our lives, listen to me, we build our lives around earthly busyness instead of kingdom effectiveness. What does it look like for us to orient our lives? And you guys have heard me preach this part before, but hang in there. What does it look like for us to build our lives not focusing on earthly busyness, but our effectiveness in the kingdom. Kingdom of effectiveness is not reserved for clergy, for pastors, for church staff. It's not, our, it's not just our responsibility to, leave, to live kingdom effective lives. You said yes to kingdom effectiveness when you asked Jesus into your heart. And he said in Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, to the, uh, to the ends of the earth. The invitation of the king is kingdom effectiveness, not earthly busyness. That's his invitation to us. It's to live a different value system. Here's another question. Oh, wait, let me, I don't want to skip this one. Sorry. I'm too old. I'm too young. Those are good. We're good at disqualifying that. You know what? Like, here's what I found about my life. And maybe it's just the current age that I'm in. I'm kind of in this beautiful, miserable spot right now where I'm not old, but I'm not young. It's a blast. (laughs) So I talk to old people and they still think I'm young. And I talk to young people and they think I'm old. It's really great. You should try it. But we use our age as a disqualifier. And listen to me. And I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm, I want to be super, 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 super sensitive in how I say this. Um, because this is very, very, very real. Is that um, sometimes we can use, and, and again, there's seasons. So, so let, me, let me talk this all the way out. 
there's seasons of life that demand attention go certain places. And sometimes what can happen is if we're having some physical health things going, we can think that that physical health thing completely disqualifies us from kingdom work. And I just want to encourage you today, no matter where you're at in the health game, that you are not disqualified from kingdom work. And here's what I mean. You may feel miserable most days. You may be, like chronic pain is a silent misery. You may have some stuff going on and you feel like, you know, you can't, you can't do the things. Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries of all time, was very, very sick, spent three years on his back and experienced miraculous healing. After he'd done that, he said he grieved the days when he was on his back because it gave him more time to pray. Mercy. If I would just have that kind of faith. And so no matter where you're at, feeling young, feeling old, feeling healthy, feeling not healthy, there's kingdom activity for you. Here's another thing really quick. What excuses do we use to disqualify others? What excuses do we use to disqualify others from kingdom work? Now, again, let's be good. good. I'm not talking. Yeah, we need to have processes. We need to have, you know, we like... There's got to be background, there's background, there's got to be systems and processes, okay? So like, uh, okay, put that over here. Now, let me finish. But what labels do we put on people that we use to disqualify them? Too young, too old, too new. Don't vote a certain way. Oops. What else can I poke the bear? Let me think. Uh, but seriously, though, don't I? You, you, you get my point. Let me just, let me, if you missed it, I'm just going to say it. If God can use Saul, he can use you. Paul, go, Paul goes on three missionary journeys to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Three different missionary journeys that God sends Paul out on, this murderer. So the mission that Paul thought he was going on, God flips upside down and actually enlists him to be the one to bring the gospel. Two-thirds of your New Testament is written by this guy. And so for the rest of our time here, we're just going to look a little bit. Oh, I'm going to say this too. I skipped this part. I'm going to say it and then I'll get back to that. The enemy doesn't need to disqualify you if you've already disqualified yourself. The enemy doesn't need to disqualify others. If we do that for him. So let's be good people. Recognizing the work of God. And getting, line, getting in line with that. So God sends Saul. Sends Paul on three missionary journeys. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Is just looking at a couple of different stories here. And what the gospel does when it shows up. This is, this is uh, Acts chapter 16. This is at Paul's second missionary journey. We're just going to look at a couple of these. Because if you did the reading this week. Um, uh, you know that there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot, there's a lot in those, those pages. So we're just going to dive in just a little bit here, this one little section. This is Acts chapter 16. This is Paul and, uh, Paul and Silas uh, going out. And it says, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a, a female slave who had a spirit by which she was predicting the future. She earned a great deal of money by, uh, for her owners for fortune telling. So you have this, this demon-possessed woman who's, who's telling fortunes and earning a ton of money for it. She followed Paul. 
and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she's, she's literally like walking around. Can you get this picture of Paul and his entourage walking around? And then you got the crazy lady who's running behind him. And like, these guys are telling you how to get saved. And like, eventually that would get annoying. And so Paul, uh, she kept this up for many, many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to her, in the name of Jesus, I command you to command the spirit to come out of you. And at that moment, the spirit left. Boom. Whew. That's pretty cool. Except that's pretty disruptive. Because that's how she was earning her money. And she was a slave to somebody. And that's how they were earning their money. And so when her owners realized that their hope for money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice. AKA, they took our money source. They weren't really mad at the customs. They were, they were mad because their life had been disrupted because of an encounter with Jesus. They were trying to blame the law, but what they were mad about was that this woman has experienced freedom and it was disruptive. And I just want to make this really clear for us because I think, I think sometimes when we follow Jesus, we think we should really fit in and we should just be able to go with the flow and everything will work out. And I just want to be really, really clear that following Jesus should be disruptive to our past life. That when we really follow Jesus, it actually should disrupt how we live. Because our value system, the way we see the world, the way we interact with people is different than the culture. Therefore, it should be disruptive to us. Sometimes I feel like we get so sad or we get, you know, we're, we're confused because we get, we get pushed out of this or that thing. And we're like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm just trying to give you permission to realize it's going to be disruptive. That when you follow Jesus, you're going to begin to make different decisions with your time, your talent, your treasure, your relationships, business leaders, your business, parents, your kids, single people, who you date or, or, or who you think you should date, how we view sexuality. It's going to look different and be disruptive. Because Jesus comes to give us life and life to the full, his way. The old you has gone and the new you has come. In Galatians chapter 5, I think we get this confused with the, with the, with the, with the gifts of the Spirit. We can, listen to me. We can get confused on the, the, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. We can get confused on the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are given as the Holy Spirit chooses. These are gifts to edify the body, to build the church, to build the bride for Christ. These are gifts. Your gifts are different than your gifts are different than your gifts are different than my gifts. We all get different gifts. Why? Not so that we can build our, our earthly kings and all this stuff, but that we can lift the bride, this purified bride for Christ, so that when he returns, the bride is ready for her. That we live our lives in such a way that we use our gifts, we use our talents to prepare the bride for Christ in his return, for the marriage feast. 
That is different than Galatians 5 and the gifts of the Spirit. That the gift of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that as you walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, this is your inheritance as a son and daughter of God. Let me explain it to you this way. Those aren't optional. Those are for you. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those are the output of the Spirit's work in your life. The more we surrender to Him, the more these things begin to bubble up and become our new identity. Not through striving, not through performance, not because we're checking all the boxes, but because we've submitted our heart to God and said, God, every bit of me is yours and shape me and mold me to be more like you. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. This is a prayer that I pray regularly to help kind of position my life to do this because it's it sometimes we can think that these types of things are like for the religious elite or you know like this is stuff that you figure out after you've been following Jesus for a long time. I'm going to give you a really simple prayer and I promise if you start praying this prayer, it will revolutionize your relationship with the Holy Spirit. It the prayer is really simple. It's this, Jesus, help me be easily interrupted by you. 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 Because what you're doing when you're praying that prayer is you're putting your priorities and what your heart's longing is in the right position. Because when I pray this prayer of Jesus, help me be easily interrupted by you, it's putting him and his voice at the top of the list. So that everything else falls in behind it. Then all of a sudden, no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I'm at, no matter if I'm in the office or at my school, no matter who I'm in conversation with, that the Lord knows that he, that, that he can interrupt what's going on. That whatever is in my little, my little sphere at this moment, that still the most important thing is Jesus, your voice, Holy Spirit, your voice is the most important thing to me right now. So God, if you speak, I'll listen and I'll do it. Like how would your morning change, you think? How would your day change if you just prayed that simple prayer? Jesus, help me be easily interrupted by you. No matter what's going on, no matter what's going on around me, no matter what's going on in my business, no matter what's going on in my family, my marriage, and my relationships, and my singleness, no matter what it is, Jesus, help me be easily interrupted by you. Because what that does is that positions you to allow the fruit of the Spirit grow in your life because you're showing the Lord that that's the most important thing to you. I want to build my life to be easily interrupted. I want to build my family to be easily interrupted. I want to raise my kids that they're easily interrupted. I want Jesus to know that he has my yes before he even asks me anything. And I really do think that this applies to the business world as well. Because what if your greatest leadership asset in your business was actually your level to discern the voice of God, not just your strategy. 
What if the greatest asset that you brought to your company wasn't your strategy, wasn't your framework, wasn't your know-how, but the greatest asset that you brought to your work was actually trusting that God would lead you day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision. And sometimes those are strategic. And other times it's just obedience. But what does it look like for you to ask the Lord to make your life easily interruptible? That whatever you have in your hands in that moment, you're like, God, it's always yours. It's always yours. So Paul and Silas, they go on preaching. There's a story where they're locked away in prison because of this incident. And the prison shakes. And the wall, the chains of them fall off and the, the gates are wide open. Um, that's known as the moment to run. If you've been in prison, when the gates open and the shackles fall off. And that story blows me away because they stay. And they stay and they preach. They had had such an encounter with Jesus and were so convinced that Jesus was the one that would say that they were in prison, that there was an earthquake to undo their shackles and open the door. And they were so convinced that Jesus was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, like, eh, we don't have to run. He'll take care of it. And you're like, dude, he did take care of it. Run. You're like, nope, not enough. But here's, let me tell you about Jesus. And they lead the, they lead the, the, they, they lead the, the guys that are holding them in prison to the, to the Lord and are baptized that night in the middle of the night. I want to leave you with this, just something to think about. Uh, we are not just saved people, we are sent people. We are not just saved people, we are sent people. We are not just saved people, we are sent people. Quit disqualifying yourself. Quit giving excuses. Quit looking for everybody else to do everything. Like some of you, seriously, some of you have been coming week after week and you've been sensing the Lord asking you to step into some place of service. And every week you're like, oh, I'm just gonna go talk to somebody. And then you punt and you don't and you go home. And you're like, oh, then the shame kicks in, the guilt fills in. You're like, oh, I should have done it. You're like next week's the week. And then you come back and you do the same thing over and over again. Listen, stop, talk to somebody. God wants to use you. He's got kingdom potential wrapped up inside of you. He wants to use you. We're not just saved people. We are sent people. And God wants to unlock in you, not just this understanding of being saved, but what do you do with it? You give it away. You give reason for the hope that you carry. And that's the call of God for your life. So friends, what does it look like for you to be easily interrupted? Because if God can use Saul, he can use you. I don't care what's in your past. I don't care what's in your present. God wants to ch take it and mold it and shape it from the place of repentance and bring redemption to you and use you for his mission. Amen? Amen, let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We give you praise. We give you glory, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, I thank you for interrupting my life. And Lord, I just say, do it again. Do it again. Do it again, Lord.
Lord, take my time, my talent, my treasure, take my title, and interrupt me, Jesus. And God, I just pray that over this body. Father, that we would be a body of people that long to know Jesus and do what he says at all costs. Help us, Lord. And God, I pray specifically for people who feel like uh, um, they're not sure if they want to be interrupted by you. I just pray that you would remind them of your goodness. Remind them of your provision. Remind them that you'll never leave them nor forsake them. Because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we say, come Lord Jesus. Interrupt us. Amen.